going to read the, the whole psalm, Psalm 127. It's except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord, again, as we turn to your word this morning, we just ask that you would guide us, guide my thoughts, my words this morning, and help us to grow closer to you through our time together, Lord. And I just ask that you would bless those that have gathered and just ask that you would be with us, uh, help us to love you more and to serve you more, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This second half of this psalm speaks of becoming a parent. Children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are a gift. And those that still remember, I've probably said this before, a friend that we used to guide hiking trips together and I, I spent a fair bit of time witnessing to him and never could convince him of the Bible or the gospel. And then one day he shows up in my garage holding his newborn baby and just glowing, thrilled with this life that he's created. He says, now I believe in God. At least, you know, he took that first step of, I believe in God, because he's got this incredible creation that he's holding in his hands, and he sees the truth of this verse, that the fruit of the womb is a reward that God gives us. God's children are a blessing from God. And this, our society has changed a lot over the years, and my family is the norm, only having two kids. But that's, this gives a, a statement as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth, and happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Having your quiver full, like having a, an abundance of children, is a blessing and is scripturally normal. It seems nowadays if you have more than three or four kids, people think there's something weird about that, but that's not what the scripture says about it. It is actually normal to have a bunch of kids and it's a blessing and it's a blessing and of course I'm saying this because it's Father's Day it's a blessing to be a father 
I don't know how to say this nicely, but any loser can get a girl pregnant. But it takes a man to be a father, to be a good father. And you speak of character, and having character doesn't only apply to a father, it applies to all of us. And there's one verse. If you want to turn there to Micah, chapter 6. This one verse gives, it's a short verse, and it gives an abundance of instruction to us of the kind of character that God would have us to be and the kind of character it takes to be a good father. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you? These are, you put that as two questions. Say, oh man, we're speaking specifically to fathers, but to any of us really. What is good? There's a good question. What is good? And what does the Lord require of us? Another very good question, and he answers it with three very simple-sounding points. They're simple-sounding, but they're difficult to live. These three points is, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We're going to look at those three points this morning just a little bit further and I looked up each of those three words for an actual dictionary definition and it reveals a lot just to do justly justly is in conformity to law justice or propriety by right the offender is justly condemned, and the hero is justly rewarded, applauded, or honored. It is according to truth and facts. It's honestly, fairly, and with integrity, or properly, accurately, and exactly. <laughs> Just to do justly requires truth, it requires facts, and a proper assessment of those facts, to accurately look at the facts and come to a, the right conclusion. And that's a character trait that God wants us to have, and this is a character trait, and each of these character traits, these three, are traits 
that God possesses. We, we speak of God in a way that um, we define who God is. And we say God is love. God is just. God is holy. Those things define who God is. And this is one of those things that God is just. And so God also expects us to show those same character traits. And so he wants us to be just in the way that we live. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity. Just and right is he. What a description of God, right? This is... And we see, even in the beginning of this verse, he is the rock. It's pointing to Christ right there. His work is perfect. We can point to his past work in his creation. It was perfect. But we can point to, at this point in Deuteronomy, it was pointing to his future work. The work on the cross was perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right. Like, that almost def matches that dictionary definition of the word just. That is who God is. That defines who God is. He has right judgment. He's perfect judgment. He judges based on truth. In the book of Job, chapter 8, one of Job's friends is answering Job's argument as to his own righteousness and questioning why God would let all these terrible things happen to him. And still dad, the Shuhite, says in verse 3, Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? like this is a rhetorical question right this, how can we point our finger at God and say that he's not being just there is no injustice with God he is perfect his judgment is perfect and so whatever he deems suitable to put on us is just is right there's no we can't argue with that. We shouldn't argue with that because it's wrong to, to do so, to accuse God of being unjust in any way. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And you'd have to be blind to not see that this is pointing to Jesus. But this is not pointing just to Jesus in his first coming. We see, and if you understand the Bible and the prophecy and 
how the end times is going to play out, the second coming of Christ really fulfills this verse. And thinking about this this morning, I've heard people describe the Old Testament as being showing the wrath of God, the judgment of God, all the harsh, the anger. <laughs> those aspects of God and the New Testament shows his love and his kindness and his mercy you notice I'm looking at primarily Old Testament (laughs) verses when I'm looking at him being just and I'll be looking at the Old Testament when I'm looking at his mercy (laughs) it's full of mercy full of love and kindness this is the Bible is consistent throughout. People have twisted it. And they think that, that there's no judgment in Christ. But his sacrifice on the cross is judgment. It, it's him taking the judgment for our sins. And he's not going to let, as I read first thing this morning, he's not going to let this carry on forever and let people blaspheme his name forever he's going to judge he says I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth when Christ returns that thousand year reign he is going to execute justice and judgment in the earth it's going to be done perfectly (laughs) according to his truth and it will be done righteously. That is God's character. And that's how he's going to end this world, is in his judgment. God wants us to live the same, to act the same, and have these same character traits. Isaiah chapter 1 giving instructions says in verse 16 wash you make you clean put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead for the widow like he's giving these instructions and he wants us to have that character trait he wants us to judge everyone points to judge not lest you be right all they know is that judge not statement but he wants us to judge according to righteous judgment he wants us to judge based on truth learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead for the widow like look at the details and make a judgment. Be just in the way you deal with people. If they deserve, like, you look back at that definition, the offender is justly condemned, and the hero is justly rewarded. We're supposed to look at situations, and we're supposed to condemn that which is wrong, and we're supposed to praise the good. That's what God wants 
from us. This verse in Proverbs chapter 24 is interesting. It, chapter 24 verse 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You know, God understands who we are, our fallen nature. And as much as he wants us to have this character trait, he says, even if you have it, it says, for a just man falleth seven times. A just man will still fall. We still make mistakes and we still falter. But it says, we don't let that define us. It says that he riseth up again. When we fall, when we do something stupid and we don't show good character in some part of our life, we don't have to let that define us. We can correct those things. We can get up and we can make a change. We can fix those. We can be just in our own judgment of our own lives, of our own character. It's interesting looking at people in the Bible and how God speaks about people in the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 18, we see God talking about Abraham. In verse 19, he says, God speaking says, For I know him, speaking of Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. If you look at Abraham's life, Abraham is not a perfect man. Abraham did some stupid things. He made mistakes. He wasn't a perfect example. But God looked at him and he realized that that man, even when he makes a mistake, he'll get back up and he'll correct that mistake. And he says, I, he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. He knows that Abraham's character is defined by being just by having that character trait, even if there's times where he falters, God defines him by being just. Because he, that was the direction, that was the way his heart was, was to be that. These are examples for us to follow, to get back up, to move forward, and to correct our mistakes and to have it be defined by doing justly. The second instruction in, in Micah 6 8 says to love mercy. It's kind of a wordy definition, but it says it's that benevolence, mildness, 
or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice. Isn't that interesting? We speak of justice and to do justly. And the next instruction is to love mercy. And part of the definition of loving mercy or the, of mercy is that it tempers justice. There's, there's some balance that's required in here. Tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than the law or justice will warrant. Well, we just said that justice <laughs> requires that we judge righteously and to give the punishment that's deserved. But mercy says, I'm going to take it easy. <laughs> right? It's, it's almost, a, sounds like a contradiction, but it's that balance, and it's who God is. God loves mercy. God is merciful. We look at some verses that define God and God's mercy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6 says, And showing mercy unto thousands that love me and keep my commandments. Do you know where Exodus 20 is speaking of? Exodus chapter 20 is giving of the Ten Commandments. And this statement is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And it's defining who God is and why we should serve Him only. And in, in that definition of the explanation of who God is, it's because He shows mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That's who God is. God shows mercy. He doesn't give what we deserve <laughs> but he's kind and he withholds some of that judgment first chronicles chapter 16 verse 34 says oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever give thanks unto the lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever this is our Old Testament defining the mercy of God. And it tempers his judgment. God is just. That's, there's no arguing that God is just. But he's full of mercy as well. He's, he's full of goodness. Because his mercy endureth forever. In Zechariah chapter 10, verse 6, it says, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. 
for I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. He's look, God's looking down at a people that have rejected him, have turned to these idols, and they've done many abominations before God, and gone against everything that he ever told them to do. And he's cast them off. He's given them over to captivity and even in that, even when they rejected him, he says, I will have mercy on them and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. And again, we're pointing to the future, to the end times, when God's going to restore a remnant of Israel back and they will permanently serve God because of his mercy. He's promised to them that he would do that and he intends to keep that promise. And so his justice says he was just to cut them off. But his mercy says, I'll graft them back in. These are the kind of character that God wants us to be. Psalm 37, verse 21, just simply says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Such a contradiction of the greed of borrowing and trying to not pay back what we borrow. Whereas when we have mercy, we just give freely. Whether the person deserves it or not. And mercy really implies that the person doesn't deserve it but we show kindness where people don't deserve it. That's what God wants for us. In Matthew 23, Jesus is dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 23. says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. They're so wrapped up in keeping the details of the what I ought to do externally, but the stuff that comes from inside, the judgment and mercy and the faith, they're missing those things. And Jesus says, those are more important. <laughs> he says, don't forget about the other stuff. That's important too. But these are more important. <laughs> you need to have judgment. And again, Jesus puts these two things together, judgment and mercy. It's important to have mercy tied with the judgment so that we're not overly harsh. In Luke chapter 10, there's an illustration that Jesus gives of this man who was robbed and beaten and cast into the ditch. And these 
Israelites walk by and refuse to touch the man. But the Samaritan sees the man beaten in the ditch as he's walking by. And he goes and he pulls him out. And he dresses his wounds and takes care of him. And he takes him to an inn and pays the innkeeper to take care of this man, to feed him and to dress his wounds and to take care of him. And he says, when I come back, I'll pay you whatever the added cost will be. And Jesus, I'm going to turn there to get the actual conversation in Luke chapter 10. Jesus asks this question in verse 36. says, Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the answer says, He said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. That Samaritan had no reason to help this Israelite, this Jew that was beaten and tossed in the ditch. We talked a little bit about, when we were looking at the woman at the well, how the Jews would treat the Samaritans. There was this disdain for the Samaritans among the Jews. And so for this Samaritan to go and help this Jew... It's such an act of mercy. There's, he has no reason to do this. That man would never, ever lift a finger to help him if the roles were reversed. And he knows it. And yet, he sees a man in need and he has mercy. It's like there's this sense of, I don't care what injustice that person would have done to me. He's in need and I... I must. My character demands that I help. He wasn't concerned about a just judgment on that person's character that moment. At that moment, that person needed mercy. And he was going to give mercy. And that's the character that Jesus is teaching us to have. The third thing in Micah 6.8 says to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We are to walk humbly. Humbly it's in a humble manner. With modest submissiveness. With humility. So what's humility? In ethics it's freedom from pride and arrogance. Humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. In theology, humility consists of, in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. It's a, it's a deep sense of our unworthiness in the sight of God. When we know who we are, when we know what our sin 
has done to separate us from God and compare my sinful state with his holiness, it creates a humility. It creates an understanding of my own unworthiness before God. And that's a large part, at least, of what humility is. And in that, again, Christ is our example. And in Philippians 2, verse 8, and we've looked at this many times, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus didn't have to be humble. There was no recognition that he wasn't worthy. He was worthy, and yet he humbled himself. He took a low position for, your, for our sakes. He didn't have to, but he chose to be humble, to take that low position. And when we go through Scripture, we can see many, many examples of what God's view and what, what God's view of humility is, but how he responds when we are humble. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 7 says, And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Says they've humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. God's justice <laughs> said that they deserve to be destroyed. But when they humbled themselves, God showed mercy and said, I won't destroy them because they've humbled themselves. These things are tied together very closely. It happens again later in the same, same book, Second Chronicles chapter 32, says, Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of God of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. They, God's wrath was set to be poured out on these people because of their actions, and God was just to do that. But God showed mercy when they humbled themselves. This is how God responds to our humility. In Proverbs 29, verse 23, says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Isn't that a contradiction, like an opposing thing where my pride will bring me low, but if I'm humble, I'll get lifted up? Honor shall uphold the humble. Like, I'll get honored if I'm humble. But if I'm full of pride, I'm going to be brought low. Like, it's the opposite 
of my character <laughs> creates the response. And if I try to lift myself up, I will get put down. And that's the way that God at, responds to how we act towards him. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 15 says, And the mean man shall be brought low, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. People that lift themselves up and think themselves as being something that don't show these other character traits of mercy and humility, God will humble them. Everyone's going to be humbled. We can choose to do it ourselves or it will be done for us. I'm going to look again at another example. Luke chapter 18. If you want to go there with me. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and despised others. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they despised others. Two men, now Jesus is telling this to these people. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says to them in verse 14, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his host justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is how God responds to us. And if we think that we're something, if we think that we are good, that if we think that we have value before God, God's going to humble us. But if we see our flaws and we humble ourselves before God, Jesus says, that man went away justified. Not an interesting choice of words that Justice is done when God gives mercy to the humble man. It is just for God to be merciful to someone who is humble. These character traits are what God would have us to live like. James 4, 6 and, and 1 Peter 5, 5. They begin differently, but they end with the exact same statement. 
says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. God's merciful to people who are humble. Makes me think of when Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he gives two commandments. Is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he describes those two commandments as summing up the entire law and that if you do those two things, you will fulfill the rest of the law. Because if you do those things, the other things are automatically excluded. If you love your neighbor as yourself, adultery, murder, lying, all of these things that we do to others, the covetousness, are excluded. We, we can't possibly do these other things if we are loving God completely and if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we'll, we'll automatically fulfill the whole law by doing those two things. And I believe that what Micah 6.8 is teaching us is that these three character traits, this isn't the only things that the Bible describes as quality character qualities that we need to possess. But I believe that they are so intertwined that if we do these three things, if we do justly, if we love mercy and walk humbly, the rest of the character traits that the Bible describes that we need to possess will automatically be there. Because these things require so much more. These things will shape who we are. If we can just focus on these three, the other things will automatically fall into place. Let's pray. Lord, it sounds like three simple things to do, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly is a challenge that we'll all fail at throughout our lives, Lord. But you also encourage us that we can get back up and carry on, and that you will see that, and that you will honor that and that you're willing to overlook and to have mercy on us when we fail. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the mercy that you've shown in giving Christ on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, and the justice that was poured out on him instead of us, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness in all of this. And help us to understand, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.